Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. sad day for me because this is the last message in our series on Philippians. And a number of people have told me how much they have really enjoyed this series and how much God has taught them through this series. So I pray that my prayer is that you are encouraged in our last study from this book. Now next week, um, Pastor Chris Knighter, who's our youth pastor, will be teaching. The week after that, Pastor Andy will be teaching. I'm going to be sort of in and out of the office, sort of a half vacation uh, that, those two weeks, just getting a couple things ready for fall, but trying to get things caught up at home. That'll bring us to August 30th, by the way, and we'll return at that point to the Gospel of Mark. If you have been with us, you know we left off the Gospel of Mark when COVID hit, and so it's about time we get back and finish the Gospel, and that'll be a real exciting thing to do. I'd like to ask you if you could take your copy of God's Word out, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in Philippians 4 verse 10. While you're turning in your copy of God's Word, let me give you some background of what was going on right at this point. We know that Paul has been under house arrest in Rome while he's awaiting for his trial. He doesn't know how the outcome of his trial will go. He could lose his life. He could be freed. Uh, he's pretty confident he's going to be freed, but you know what the legal system is like. I mean, anything can happen nowadays, just like it could happen in those days. So Paul is not exactly sure what will happen, but he's pretty confident he'll be let, he'll be let go. Being under house arrest is actually a privilege at that time. Most of the time, while you're waiting for your trial, you'd be thrown into a Roman dungeon. But sometimes they would show you favor, and you could be in a rented house, and to do that, you'd be chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. The good part about that, it was a lot better accommodations. The bad part about that is you had to pay for your house, you had to pay for your utilities, and you had to pay for your food. And that's what's going on with Paul at this point. He has to pay for those things. Unfortunately, uh, resources have become a little bit thin not too sure how we're going to supply those things and to be able to pay the rent, as it were. But thankfully, guess who shows up? A man named Epaphroditus. He's one of the deacons from the church in Philippi. And the church of Philippi have thought about Paul. They've taken up a love offering for Paul. They've sent it by Epaphroditus, who shows up just sort of at the right time for Paul essentially to pay his rent and to be able to stay in the rented house. So what Paul does out of gratitude in his heart, because God is now providing for his needs through the Philippians by the hands of Epaphroditus who brought the money, he is writing a thank you note to the Philippians. That thank you note is the book of Philippians in our Bible. Now you know Paul, he can't help but talk about Jesus. He loves Jesus. So he actually spends most of the thank you note talking about Jesus Christ. But as we get to the end of the book, he returns to the original purpose for the letter, which is a, a thank you note. Thanking the Philippians for how good and kind they have been with their financial gift to him. Now as we read these final verses, I want you to do two things. Number one, note the thankfulness that is in Paul's tone. 
But as we read about his thankfulness, notice how Paul cannot help but weave in some great theological lessons along the way. So if you have your Bible, stand with me. Or actually, everybody stand. Follow along in your Bibles. It's a better way to say it. We'll begin in verse 10 and read to the end of the book. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Well, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That ends the reading of the word of God. You can be seated. What we're going to talk about in this message is what he teaches us about giving and receiving, financial giving and receiving for the, the gospel. And uh, the first thing I'd like to point out for you or before we actually jump into the text is simply this point. False gods are takers. The true God is actually a giver. Because whenever we talk about money, especially in the church, I know what the initial reaction is. You can see people, they reach for their wallet, they want to hold it. Oh no, you know, somebody's going to try and get money out of me. They're going to take my cash from me. And I have to tell you, that's not what this is about at all. False gods are the ones who are trying to take from you. The true God is the one who's trying to give to you. False gods are the ones who are saying, you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. You have to pray towards Mecca five times a day. You have to do this. You have to do that. And also, give your money. But the true God is different. We were the ones that were in our sins. Yet he is the one who gave us his own son. We... Uh, we're um, redeemed of our sins by Jesus Christ, but he gave us even more than that. He promises to give us a resurrection body someday. He'll give us our own bodies back even after they die. 
not only that, but he doesn't leave us alone in this world. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit who leads us into truth and shows us truth and convicts us of sin. He didn't leave us alone in this world. He gave us the Bible. The Bible is the word of God, which the Bible says, your word is truth. And by the way, today, it's really hard to find truth in any place, isn't it? Everybody is spinning the truth. The word of God is the truth. God gave it to us. God is such a constant giver to us, always giving. Look at Jesus. When he was on earth, what was he doing? Healing thousands of people, giving, giving, giving. Feeding the hungry, thousands at a time, giving, giving. Our God is a giver. So as we get into this topic of, of finances, and what does the Bible say about the giving and receiving of our finances? Please do not think this is a, some kind of sleazy attempt to take from you. Everything God is going to say in his book, and especially what we're going to look at in this message, is about God giving to you, teaching you the proper way to use your resources for maximum good of God's kingdom and the maximum good of your life. Because our God is a giver. That is very important to know as we get into this text. The second thing we need to know by way of introduction is the churches in Macedonia, where Philippi was located, were actually model givers. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, uh, who were a very wealthy people in a very wealthy city and a wealthy church, he actually says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, let me show you some model givers that you need to follow. And he says the churches of Macedonia are model givers. Now, if you remember in our beginning of our study, where was Philippi located? Philippi was one of the chief churches in the area of Macedonia. So uh, the Philippians really understood the biblical truth of giving and receiving of money for the gospel and what the Bible says about it. And they lived it in practice. So the, these guys are people that we can learn from. By the way, he says that uh, historically we know when this relationship with Paul and the Philippians began was actually 11 years prior to the writing of the letter of Philippians. And even when from the very beginning, we'll see that they actually began financially supporting Paul when he went to the next city to plant the next church, the city of Thessalonica. And they have continued to financially support him over the long haul. There's been a gap of time when they haven't supported him. We'll look at that in a little bit. But the last time Paul saw these guys was four years before this, when he's been in jail. Yet, they're the ones who end up supplying his needs, which is why he writes this thank you note. So I'm going to dive into the text at this point, and I probably should have uh, put the outline together a little bit better, but guess what, guys? It was one of those weeks, too much week, not, or too much things to put in, not enough week like many of you, so I had to throw this together at the last minute, so go easy on me if I don't have everything quite right. But the first two points have to do with receiving how do we respond when God provides for our needs? The rest of the points have to do with giving. Uh, how should we give to the needs of others? So let's begin with this. Let's look at the first point on receiving. 
we should express gratitude when God provides for our needs. He starts out with that in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And the point I want to make is this. We should express our gratitude to generous people. People that have provided for our needs, we should be thankful to them. Paul doesn't say why for a period of time they stopped supporting him. He doesn't tell us, but we know that for a period of time they had stopped supporting him. Maybe it was COVID. I don't know. Uh, most likely, this is my guess, I think they simply lost his address. Remember, Paul had ended up being taken to Rome to await in prison there when he had appealed to Caesar. And there is no way he's going to tell people exactly where he's going. Because he doesn't know where he's going. He can't post it on Facebook. He can't Twitter post it. He can't text it to anybody. He is just taken by the Romans, brought to Rome, doesn't know where he's going to end up. And so for the Philippians, I'm guessing they don't even know where to send their financial gift, which is why there has been a pause in time from when he's been receiving their financial gifts. But what's happened is somehow, through providence, God has provided a way that they've learned where he is staying, and they've actually sent their financial support, which we're going to see is extremely important for him. And here's the very simple application point. When God uses someone to meet your needs, be sure to thank them for it. Isn't that true? We must be very grateful people. In fact, uh, maybe the best thing to do is thank someone face-to-face. If you can't thank someone face-to-face, make sure you at least send a thank you note. After all, the letter of Philippians that we have in our Bible is Paul's thank you note to the Philippians for providing for his needs. And the reason I say that is, to be honest, we live in a very fast-paced society, and I've noticed that in our fast-paced society, there is an increasing lack of gratitude, there is an increasing lack of thankfulness, there's an increasing amount of entitlement, and thank you notes and gratitude are often in short supply. But as Christians, we're to be the exact opposite way. Very grateful people expressing gratitude to people who God uses to uh, supply our needs and to help God's kingdom grow. And I was thinking about that personally. Like, maybe I don't say this enough, but I am a very thankful pastor. I'm thankful because I have a rock star team that I get to work with in the way of staff. But I want to tell you that I am very thankful for you guys. Uh, I am a, you are a wonderful church to pastor, and I don't say that enough. And I'm thankful for your generosity. I'm thankful for your financial support of Crosswinds Church, because without your financial support of Crosswinds Church, folks, this church wouldn't be possible. We wouldn't have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel like we do. We wouldn't have an Awana program midweek so kids can hear about the Word of God. We wouldn't have the Sunday morning kids programs. They wouldn't be there without your generosity. So I just want to pause for a moment. I just want to say thank you how God has used your generosity for His kingdom. But as we continue, I think there's something else we should express gratitude to. 
we should express our gratitude not just to generous people, but to our generous God. Because whenever God supplies for the needs of his people, ultimately behind all of it is not just people, but it's God orchestrating things. It's God working things. Remember the Philippians, I believe, have not known where to even send a check to Paul for a number of years. And here is Paul. He's in Rome, has to figure out a way to pay rent, has to figure out a way to pay for his food. Supplies are running short. And what would Paul do? We covered it last week. He told us, whenever we're filled with anxiety, we go to God in prayer. And we ask God to meet our needs. So I could see Paul praying, God, you have to meet our needs because we don't have enough money for next month's rent in this rented house. And if it's your will, and then we get out of the rented house and get thrown in dungeon, so be it. But Lord, meet our needs. And God did. Because he worked in circumstances behind the scenes. So the Philippians finally figured out where he was. The Philippians had their hearts moved to give to his needs. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to meet his needs. And can't you see it when Epaphroditus walked in that rented house? And Paul, I'm sure, just had a tear going down his face, saying, God, you're the one who answered my prayer. You're the one who provided for our needs. So, folks, when, it, when God meets our needs in answer to our prayer, and he supplies for the growth of his kingdom, we thank the generous people that God uses, but we also thank God who orchestrates the circumstances to make it all possible. The next thing we learn about receiving is this. We need to learn to be content with what God has provided us. Paul goes into this in verses 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking, he says, of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul could have written back and said, guys, boy, I'm so thankful that your gift showed up. I mean, we were down to rice and beans. I couldn't even afford Taco Bell. He could have taken that tone, but he doesn't. He said, I, what I have learned is no matter what situation I find myself in, even if we're just scraping to survive, I can be content with where God has me in this time. Now, folks, that shows huge amounts of spiritual maturity, learning to be content with what God provides. Because most of the time, our culture doesn't teach us contentment. Our culture teaches us coveting, that we have to have what everybody else has, not to be content with what God has provided us. Now, coveting, realize this, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the things that we are not to do, constantly envious of other people, wanting what other people have, living to keep up with other people, because what ends up happening, then we start worshiping stuff, instead of worshiping our Savior. Contentment is a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to want to get some stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. That's not necessarily a problem. But you have to ask your heart something. 
why do I want what I want right now? Is it because this is a need for my family? Or is it because it's a greed of my heart? So often our culture cultivates the greed of our heart rather than the need for our life. And what ends up happening is when we start pursuing greed, we think we can buy happiness. And I can tell you, you cannot buy happiness. The bigger house will not make you happier. The faster car will not make you happier. The longer boat will not make you happier. It'll be just like you're a kid on Christmas morning. And I remember this well as a kid. I can't wait to open the presents. If I could just open the presents, I'd be happy. You open the presents, and by 3 o'clock on Christmas afternoon, you're bored. Isn't that the way it works? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Stuff can't buy us happiness. It cannot produce contentment in our heart. Now, let me give you a couple thoughts on how to uh, avoid the sin of greed and coveting. A couple things. Uh, number one, pray about your purchases. Now, I don't mean after your purchase, like on how you're going to pay for it. I mean before your purchase. Because sometimes when you pray about this, you sit there and like, okay, God, why am I really going to buy this? Is it because I actually need it? Or is it just because I'm greedy right now? God convicts you of that a lot, and he changes your heart. I know I can say that I've prayed about purchases and I've walked away from them because God's convicted me that I'm buying it for the wrong reason. The other thing I found was pay for your purchase in cash. It's real easy to just ring that credit card and see a number. But if you actually start slapping down stacks of $20 bills, and I have literally done this, purchase thing, I'm putting down the money in front of the salesman. I get about halfway done. I'm looking at the stack of money. I go, this is crazy. And I pull it all back and walk out of the place. Because it let me realize that I'm putting way too much money to something I really don't need and I was doing it for the wrong reasons in my heart. Try paying cash. It'll change your perspective on things. Well, coveting is not just uh, bred into us by our culture, but coveting is one of the surefire signs that you're running across a false teacher. They will try to teach you to covet. I'm going to give you a couple of fun quotes out of this. And this first quote comes from a guy named Rod Parsley. Whenever you got a guy whose last name is a table garnish, you know something is wrong. I mean, look at this. Look what he says here. I'm going to quote this. Some of you better get ready to drive around in neighborhoods you never thought you'd be able to afford and able to live. Some of you better go down to that Lexus and Mercedes dealership and just sit down in one of those things with all that leather all over it. And when they say, what are you doing? Just say, well, I'm feeling out what my father's going to give me. Really? How does that jive with Paul under house arrest in Rome saying, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself, whether I have plenty or I have little. It doesn't jive. What Rod Parsley is doing is he's cultivating people's coveting. He's cultivating their greed as opposed to being content with what God has provided. Another one is a guy named uh, Sarif Lodollar. And you know he's a televangelist when his last name is Dollar, right? I mean, look what he says. I'm going to quote this guy. See, there are some people that believe not in prosperity. They don't want to hear about that God is a guide who wants to put money in your hand 
Well, you need to hear about money because you ain't going to have no love and joy and peace until you get some money. I thought we got love, joy, and peace from Jesus. Not according to him. It's all about if you love, joy, and peace comes from getting money. It's not true. Our love, joy, and peace comes from Jesus and being content in where God has placed us. Some of us, God has given a fair amount of money. Others of us, God has not entrusted us with much money. But we can all be content where we're at. Because if we're following God, I guarantee you, He will provide everything you need to accomplish His will. Look at, as we continue this. Contentment, by the way, is not connected to our circumstances. We need to know that. Uh, I put this down. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. In other words, you're never going to have enough. Just get used to it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now notice, Paul doesn't say it is not that money in itself is evil. It's the love of money that leads people astray. I cannot be content with what God has provided. I have greed. I always have to have more. This is the situation where you get a husband who loves money, and so he spends all of his time at work, no time with his wife, no time with his children, and then a decade down the road into his marriage, both his family and his children have fallen apart because he loved his money more than his family. That's what this is talking about. Contentment comes from our relationship with Jesus. Now, we've said that before, but let me just look at how Paul says that here in the text. Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, let's pause on this verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's one of the most famous Bible verses out there, isn't it? People like to get that tattooed on their body. Every athletic team that's on a Christian college always has that on their shirt, don't they? And if you go to a Christian school, sometimes they put that above the bench press, you know. Like, I can bench this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what people think. If they quote that verse, they can be a successful athlete. They can be successful in business. And I have to tell you, that's not at all what this verse is saying. It's completely misused. Context always governs meaning. I've said that to you many times. Read a verse in its context. What Paul is talking about in this time is he can make it through the good times with lots of money. He can make it through the hard times with absolutely no money and still be content because he has Jesus Christ. Because having Jesus is better than having money. You ever realize that? The fact that you are loved by Jesus, you are saved by Jesus, Jesus cares for you, Jesus watches over your life, 
You are the most blessed beings forever in the universe because of Jesus. Would you rather be Bill Gates with money but no Jesus? Or would you rather be somebody with Jesus but relatively poor? I'm going to tell you, if you don't know, it is so much better to have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you can be content in whatever situation God puts you. Because you don't need money to make you happy. The joy in your life comes from Jesus and what God has done for you and what he will always do through you. So, that's very important. Don't misunderstand Philippians 4.13 and say you can bench 500 pounds. It won't work. Paul, also, or the writer of Hebrews, says the very same thing. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And why can you be content? Because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Having God is better than having money. Now, in verse, let's look at the third point. Let's, we're moving off of this idea of receiving money. We've talked about number one, we need to be thankful. Number two, we need to be content with what God has provided. It may be a lot, it may be a little, but be content with where he has you. Now let's look at the other side as it talks about giving money. Giving to the gospel is partnering to share the gospel. Verse 14 and 16. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, that's the key word, with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. God says that when you give your finances to the church or to a missions organization or something that is working to spread the gospel, you are not just writing a check. You are partnering with them, enabling the sharing of the gospel and the growth of God's kingdom in this world. Understand this. Our financial giving is partnering with other people for the growth of God's kingdom in this world. So I want to ask you, are you somebody who gives to Crosswinds? Have you partnered with us to be able to share God's kingdom and grow God's kingdom here in the Spirit Lake community and the Spencer community and ultimately through our missions around the world? Are you a partner with us? There's many people who come to church and they are all receivers. Yeah, I want to benefit from the message. Yeah, I want my kids to go to Awana. Yeah, I want my kids to, to go to youth group. But I don't think I need to provide any financial support for that. They're all about receiving those things. But let me just tell you, and this may be a little bit harsh, but I don't mean it in a harsh way. I just mean it in an honest way. Children are the ones who expect to receive everything and never contribute. It's mature adults that realize, I'm not just here to receive benefits. I'm here to help contribute and make those benefits possible. That's the honest truth, folks. Now I ask you, have you partnered with us? Or if you're not partnering with us, are you partnering with your church at home to help the gospel go forth? It takes those who give their financial gifts, not just those who have spiritual gifts, to be able to make the gospel go forth. 
Let me flip on to the next page here. Giving rewards the giver. Paul says this, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, Paul is flipping the tables. He says, first of all, when you give, thank you for partnering with me to be able to share the gospel in Rome. We're working together. Now he says, by the way, I'm not just thankful for what you're giving to me, but you need to know it's actually more beneficial to you to be a giver than it is to me to be a receiver. Let me say that again. It is more beneficial for somebody to be a giver than for somebody else to be the receiver. That's hard to believe, but it's true. The scriptures are clear. God rewards givers in this life. Now when I say that, please don't think I'm trying to talk about the prosperity gospel. Saying if you give $50, then God's going to give you $250. That's not at all what I'm saying. But the scriptures are clear that when God's people invest their resources in the growth of God's kingdom... God loves to bless them and give them more resources because they are faithfully putting God's resources where he wants it's going. And rather than me try and support that with my words, let me just support that with God's word. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, but then only suffers, then suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 22.9 The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So those who are generous with the resources that God has given them to their church, to the spread of the gospel, to missions... God loves to bless them, and yes, in this life, because they will get more of God's resources where he wants it going. In other words, it's to your benefit to be a giver. But it doesn't stop there. God rewards givers also in the next life. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither wrath nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. All of us, or many of us, I should say, have an IRA, an individual retirement account, that we have a plan to put a little something in each paycheck. But when we give to God's work and God's kingdom, it's laying up our resources in an ERA, an eternal retirement account. Because we cannot take our money with us. But folks, we can send it ahead. When we use our resources to be generous towards God and his kingdom, to partner with others for the growth of the gospel, those resources are literally taken from earth to heaven and they will be given to us as our reward when we get there. 
Look what Paul says again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. For the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty, that is proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. As you can see, he says, God, having God is better than having money. Then he says this, and they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And what happens when they do this? Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. They're sending their resources ahead. It's a reward that they will receive in heaven. So we've seen that um, when we give to the gospel, we partner. It's part of our role to help things take place. And actually, being the giver is better than being the receiver because God blesses the givers in this life. He blesses them in the next life. And now we see this, that giving is an act of worship that pleases God. Paul continues and says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Our financial gifts are not just for our reward, but they're an act of worship to God. And he does this by flipping back into the Old Testament where animals were put on the altar. And you can imagine this. Do you realize in the Old Testament it smelled like barbecue? Did that smell good? Like you get outside in the summer and you get the meat on the grill? That's what it smelled like. They'd also would do libations with their drink offerings. They'd throw wine on the hot coals and incense on the hot coals. And it was a really good smelling time. And the idea is when God smelled that aroma going up to heaven of those sacrifices, it put a smile on God's face. And Paul says that when you write that check that goes to your church or you write that check to that missionary that you're supporting because you're trying to use your resources for the advancement of the gospel, you know what it does? It smells good to God. It puts a smile on his face. He says, this is a life that I am pleased with because they are worshiping me with their resources. Now, sometimes people have said to me, why do you ever have offering taken in the service? Don't you know it's money? Money is uncomfortable for people. Don't ask for money in the service and have our offering plate go by. And I'm like, but money is an act of worship. It's the way we worship God, by giving our financial gifts to him for the growth of the kingdom. So that's typically why, at least until COVID, when we can't pass a plate, I really enjoyed the passing of a plate because it reminds us this is part of our worship service. Giving is an act of worship. Now, immature Christians don't want to give. Mature Christians can't wait to give. The reason they can't wait to give is it's a way that they are saying, God, I love you, God, I worship you, and your kingdom is worth investing my resources in. So I encourage you, think of it that way. Are you a worshiper who worships God with your resources? Not just with our mouth, not just with our reading, 
not just with our heart, not just with the purity of our life, but with our wallet. Let me flip to number six. Giving is an act of faith, we find, because it involves trusting God to provide for our needs. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Now, as God has used the Philippians to provide for Paul's needs, Paul flips this around and says, just so you know, by the way, because you are a giver, I guarantee you God will provide for all of your needs. This is a promise that is almost too big to wrap our heads around. Oftentimes, the reason we do not give of our resources to the growth of Christ and his kingdom is you say, if I give that money, there will come a time in the future when I need that money, and I won't have that money. But Paul says, when you give that money, I can guarantee you God will provide for all of your needs doesn't say he's going to provide for everything we want, but he does promise to provide for our needs. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm unemployed right now. I really don't want to tithe out of my unemployment check. I could need that money. Maybe the best thing is to make sure we give in our unemployment check. Because when we give, God promises to provide for the needs of the giver. That's exactly what we need. Let me just go ahead and give this last point, which I think is really impactful. Giving for the gospel grows God's kingdom in ways we couldn't accomplish or wouldn't expect. It's hidden away in these final verses. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, and here's the key point, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. At first, it sounds like you're sort of signing off of a FaceTime conversation. We say hello, and they say hello, but then he throws this little bit about, especially those in Caesar's household send you their greetings. Historically, we know at this point that the gospel had been, up to this point, only something of the common people. The gospel had not made inroads at all into Caesar's household and the leadership of Rome. But here we see that that was changing. And this is where it gets interesting. This is a little bit of my theory, uh, but I'm not alone in believing this. Remember that Paul was in a rented house, not in a Roman dungeon. Part of being able to stay in a rented house was he was chained to a Roman guard 24-7 a day. We know, as we studied earlier in this book, there were guards took six-hour shifts. He was chained to four of them a day. And they were called the Praetorian Guard. We learned earlier in this book the Praetorian Guard was actually Caesar's elite bodyguard. So for six hours at a shot, they had to listen to Paul talk to them about Jesus Christ. Do you think they were becoming Christians? The Praetorian Guard were becoming Christians. They were returning to Caesar's own household 
and telling other people the good news of Jesus. And other people in Caesar's own household were coming to Jesus. But what made this all possible was the fact that Paul could stay in a rented house. The reason Paul could stay in a rented house is because the Philippians gave him a financial gift so he could pay his rent. They had no idea that their gift to pay his rent was being used by God ultimately to evangelize the household of Caesar himself. When they gave that money, they had no idea how God was going to use it. And here at the end, Paul gives that little teaser just to tell them what God was doing. Folks, when you give up your resources to Christ and his kingdom, through Crosswinds Church or whatever church you attend or through the missionary that you are supporting, you have no idea how God is going to use that. He will use it in ways beyond what you could imagine, beyond what you could ever expect. And I guarantee you someday you will probably get to heaven and you'll meet somebody in heaven who will turn around and say, thank you. Thank you for supporting that missionary. Because if you hadn't supported that missionary, he wouldn't have come to where I was at. I would have never heard about Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a partner with him in the gospel. There'll be people that will come to Jesus Christ through Crosswinds Church and other places. And ultimately they'll say, thank you. Thank you for using your resources to make this all possible. So my friends, I just say to you, when you give... Make sure you realize you are partnering and sharing the gospel. When you give, make sure you realize it is actually more of a benefit to be a giver than to be a receiver. When you give, it's an act of worship that puts a smile on God's face. When you give, you know that God promises he will always meet all of your needs. And when you give, you are accomplishing far more than you could ever ask or imagine. For Christ and his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words, especially these uh, final words in Philippians when it comes to how we handle our finances. We just want to admit that for many of us, handling our finances is a, ch is a challenge. We know we should give, but we often are not sure if we can let go of the money. But today we learn that you will promise to provide for our needs. Thank you for the promise that you love to bless those who give. You care for those who give. You use the resources they entrust for your kingdom in ways beyond that we could ever ask or ever imagine. And I especially ask that this would not be a message that we hear and then forget. So many times it is easy to listen to the word of God and then walk out of this building and forget it and never change our life. May the truth of what we've learned about giving and receiving for the gospel stick with us today. May it change our behavior today. And may we be men and women who are richly rewarded and who do good for the kingdom through our financial generosity. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.